All right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through Romans 10 today. I just keep seeing that. Gotta do Romans 10. And I think there's some high points in it. Romans 10 is in between Romans 9 and Romans 11. That's the big revelation for today. But in Romans 9 and 11, uh, the apostle Paul is explaining by the spirit this, this uh, uh, where Israel stands and explaining how, you know, the gospel came to Israel first. Jesus came preaching only to the Jews to help them reach God as their long awaited Messiah, but they didn't all believe him. And so just let me kind of caps, uh, put the end caps on this so we can get to the middle. But he says here, verse 30, what shall we say then that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith or righteousness by faith, becoming right with God by faith. This is Romans 9, verse 30. Romans 9, Romans, y'all don't have my notes in front of you? Okay, Romans 9, verse 30. We're talking about the righteousness, which is by faith, becoming right with God, receiving a huge promise of God by faith. It's the only way to receive promises. It's by faith. You have to believe. But Israel, uh, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. They were trying to be right by law, and that's impossible. The law was there to show them it was impossible to be right. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. By the works of the law means if I can just light enough candles, I'll be right with God. If I can just do all of the things, I'll be right with God. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. They stumbled at the religious, traditional stumbling stone of trying to do stuff to please God or do stuff to become right with God. And that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So if you're going to pray for Israel, pray that they be saved. There's still a trend where Christians are being told and almost condemned for not praying for Israel or Jerusalem. That's not a New Testament theme. You need to know that. That's not a New Testament theme to try to pray extra for Jerusalem or Israel. That's, it's really only a scripture in the Old Testament one time. Instead of trying to pray like David did for Jerusalem, pray like Paul did for Israel. Amen. We're not trying to pray that a city has more peace. We're trying to pray that a nation believes in Jesus. So if you want to keep doing it, just make sure you pray like Paul did for his nation of the Jews. There's no peace without Jesus. Amen. Don't, don't try to trick yourself. There's no peace. Even if the bullets don't fly one day, or even if the rocks and bottles don't get thrown over the wall one day, there's no peace over there Amen. because they rejected the Prince of Peace. By and large, they rejected the Prince of Peace. Not all were rejected. So the whole nation wasn't rejected because chapter 11 says, has God, verse one, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. God didn't just cast away all the Jews. Paul gives the first example of himself. Certainly not, for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying they've killed your prophets, torn down your altars. I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? God says, I reserve for myself 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. God didn't cast away his nation of Israel, uh, but he did cast some of it away. The unbelieving some. And he saved the remnant. The remnant are those who believe in Jesus. And then the rest of 11, you can read it for yourself. Uh, the natural branches, the Jews were cut off because of unbelief. All the believing Jews are in the tree. All the believing Gentiles have been grafted into the tree. But the unbelieving Jews have been cut off and, and are branches on the ground dead. So he didn't cast away the whole nation, but the unbelievers, yes, they got cut off of the family tree. So that's the, the caps of this, where he's talking about salvation, talking about this whole idea of getting saved by faith. And then chapter 10 is going to show us how easy it is. Chapter 10 is going to show us how easy it is where you don't even have to be born of a certain bloodline. All you have to do 
is the principle of faith. And, and what, what I want you to see here, a couple things, but one is uh, when we do that in church and just have people confess Christ, and then we say, you're saved now, it's Bible. That's scripturally accurate. And you need to have faith in that rather than say, well, I don't know if that's all it takes because, you know, you got to do a lot of changing. Is that true? Not to get saved. You don't do any changing to get saved. You, you do a lot of changing after you're saved. You do a whole lot of changing after you're born again, but you can't change to get born again. That's the law of righteousness. That's trying to be saved by law or righteous by law keeping. We're talking about being righteous by faith. It's a whole different context in the New Testament. And this is where the Jews and a lot of people today, they still don't understand this system of grace and righteousness. That we are, that it's more plausible to be saved by faith alone than it is by merit. Like we, we, you know, we're familiar with the merit system. If I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. If I score more points, I get the trophy. If I score less points, I don't get the trophy. That's how natural life has to work. You bless and you promote those who win, those who do well. That's how natural life has to work. But the spiritual side of things, God flipped it. God said, since you're not good enough anyway, I mean, everybody can uh, try to throw a rock at the moon. Some of us can throw further than others. Baseball players, we can throw it farther than, than everybody else. But it's still worthless because nobody can reach the moon. So everybody can try to be good enough for God and nobody's going to make it because his standard of holiness and divine perfection is just way further than you can act. So you got to do it a different way. That's why the, the Savior was so important. That's why the only way to get his people back was to die on the cross for our sins. It's the only way. So there's great value in that rather than let's compare how good we are. All right, so that's the, the setup here. Uh, so verse, chapter 10, verse one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You gotta submit to this deal. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So he ended the law for righteousness. So you don't have to obey the law to become righteous. Christ ended that. For Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. Meaning if you're going to try to be right by law, you're going to have to obey all that thing perfectly. So some people have hand, uh, we can say cherry-picked. Some people have cherry-picked a few laws of Moses to obey. You know anybody like that? Go ahead and raise your hand if you know somebody like that. People are a little scared. Sometimes it's trick questions, so the safest way is never raise your hand. No matter what I say, <laughs> the safest thing, don't ever raise your hand. But usually I tell you if it's a trick question. So you don't have to embarrass yourself. All right. Cherry-picking a few laws of Moses to obey like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to eat bacon because God told Israel not to eat bacon, so he must have a reason for that, so I'm going to be more holy than all you Christians who eat bacon. No, no, Jesus told Peter, eat everything on the, the carpet, including the pig. Amen. <laughs> uh, but if you're going to not eat bacon in the name of being more holy, then you're also going to have to do a whole lot of other things. A whole lot of other things. 600 something other things, right? Like you can't even eat a cheeseburger because milk and meat can't go together. The Orthodox Jews don't even keep their cheese and meat in the same refrigerator. 
Yeah, yeah, you, you, you don't know enough to be making your own rules up. People show up with all the answers, don't even know the question. And those are the people that usually cause all the problems. Well, I got to get to the text here quickly or you don't know what's going to happen. We're still riding off of last week's uh, candy filled crosses. Okay. Verse six, but the righteousness of faith, the righteousness of faith or the righteousness by faith speaks this way. Don't say in your heart who ascends to heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will ascend to the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Don't get strange in trying to figure this out. I mean, there's more to it, but that's kind of basically what it's saying. Look, don't, don't try to outthink faith. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. And this is where you can see he wouldn't be rich to those that don't call upon him. And that's why unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Greeks, non-Jews, aren't rich toward him. Or he's not rich toward them. Verse 13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's why that little billboard we put out there works. What does it say? Lord Jesus, save me. That's all it takes. Admit he's Lord, call upon him, and he'll save you. So simple, isn't it? Is it? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. I've seen so many people saved just with simple sentences to God. Simple admission of faith is how people get saved. A lot of you got saved when you were children. You didn't understand hardly anything. But you did call upon the name of the Lord. You did believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross, rose from the dead like your mama said. Or like the classroom said, or like the preacher said. Somebody told you, and you said, okay, yeah. You want to be saved? Sure. Jesus saved me. And you accidentally got saved. That's how it works. Don't ever discredit how simple it is to be saved. I know there's a lot more to it. I know that, well, are they going to keep walking with God? Well, I sure hope so. When they're 50, are they going to still believe in Jesus? Well, I sure hope so. But I'm not going to, because I don't know the future of this person's life, I'm not going to not help them get saved. I've heard preachers tell Christians that. Don't lead people to Jesus out there if you're not sure if they're serious or if they're going to go to church or where they're going to go. If you can't, don't do that because then you're like getting a baby born and just leaving them on the street. So don't do that. That's not how this works. You tell everybody the simple gospel, you help them call simply on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They simply get saved and then God can help them on their next step. Hey, if they'll come with you, if they'll follow you, that's wonderful. But most of them don't. So you, you got to be, you got to have faith in this passage. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher or a Christian talking? That's all preacher means here. A somebody talking. And how shall they preach unless the pastor sends them out into Houston? How shall they preach unless they are sent? And that's why we try to remind ourselves, we're all sent every day. Monday, you're sent back to the world to go preach, to go share Christ. Jesus said, you don't have to wait for an outreach. I mean, he didn't really say it that way. But he did say, Matthew 10, 8, and as you go, preach. As you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to the grocery store, as you go to the movie, as you go about your business, as you go on vacation, everywhere you go, as you go, preach the gospel, heal the sick. You're supposed to take the good news everywhere, even to H-E-B, 
even to school, even to work. How is anybody going to believe if they never hear? And how is anybody going to hear if you don't tell? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Take a look down at your feet. Everybody take a look down at your feet. Say, I got pretty feet. My feet are so pretty. So beautiful. But then as you read this passage, you got to wonder, don't just take it for granted. You got to ask the question, why would my feet be pretty? Why are my feet beautiful if I spread the gospel? This was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was said in the Old Testament. How beautiful are those whose feet, who, who, who tell good things, who, who bring good news? I think it's simply this, because people like to see you coming. You're spreading the good news. People like to see you. You're lit up, bright for God. People like to see that. Even sinners like that. I mean, until they reject you, they like it. Even sinners are rooting for you. You know, you get saved, your people are rooting for you. Your family, your nominal, lukewarm, unsaved family, they're rooting for you. They may be tempting you to sin and tempting you to not go to church and tempting you and harassing you. Deep down, they want you to make it. In my experience, I've interviewed people like that and they have secretly admitted to me, yeah, yeah, I really, I was really hoping that you'd make it. I, I was really hoping that my family member would live up to it and not be a hypocrite. Deep down, everybody knows. Hallelujah. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Obeyed the gospel? What does obey the gospel mean? What does obey the gospel mean? Obey the gospel means believe on Jesus Christ. One more step and love one another. Those are the two commandments for the gospel. For you to obey the gospel, two commandments. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. Sure, there's a lot more instruction for the Christian to live his life right. But for the, for the gospel or for the salvation of God, for the righteousness which is of God by faith believe. They've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? See? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Praise the Lord. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. <clears throat> That's what I was really wanting to get to is verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The whole idea of this whole thing is that you believe the truth, but you can't believe the truth if somebody's not telling it. And, and, if, and if you don't hear somebody telling it, you'll never have a chance to believe it and you'll never have a chance to be saved. The only reason anybody in this room is saved is because you heard truth and you believed it. And then you called. Simple, right? That's the whole, that's the whole kingdom of God right there. Believe something in your heart and say something with your mouth. Look at, look at verse eight again. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. This whole kingdom of God, this whole gospel works by you hearing a truth and believing that truth in your heart and then saying it out of, confessing out of your mouth. In this case, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about salvation happens and only happens if you believe the truth of Jesus and confess Christ with your mouth. It's the only way salvation can happen. Believe something in your heart and say it with your mouth. If anybody in the room is saved, it's because you believed it in your heart and you said it with your mouth. And that's why every time we find somebody who believes in Christ, we make them pray, don't we? Why do we do that? Why don't we just shake their hand and say, welcome. I mean, there's some false churches that have done that in the past. Just come down and shake the preacher's hand and you're saved. Oh no, not if your lips aren't flapping. You believe in Jesus, you come down, you can shake my hand if you want to, but you're gonna have to confess Christ out loud. Because with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. 
So the greatest miracle of all for any of us is that we believed in Jesus Christ in our heart and we confessed him with our mouth and then we were saved. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's one of our foundational salvation scriptures. There's a few others. You know, he that believeth have everlasting life. Sure, believing is very important, but this adds this, this element of you're going to have to say it. You're going to have to, and all that really means is you, you willingly took an act of, took a step of faith, an act of faith, and you confessed him and received him. John 1, 12, as many as received him. You got to believe in him, John 3, 16, and you got to receive him, John 1, 12. And here it puts it together. It says you got to believe and you got to confess, which is the receiving part. Your willingness to uh, bow down to the Lord or to Jesus as Lord. So you got to believe something in your heart and you got to take a step of faith. And the first step of faith is usually saying something with your mouth. Then we take it one step further and we say, now go get wet. Get baptized. Because Jesus said that you can put all this together and you can, you can answer the question, why, why, why? Because it's by faith. But if I have faith, I'll say something. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you would say to the sycamine tree. If you have faith, you will say to the mountain. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you will confess him as Lord. So these are just steps of faith. This is how the whole thing operates. It's through this faith principle. Verse eight, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. You don't have to look to heaven. You don't have to look down and wonder and where. No, 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 no. The word of God is near. Where is it? 18 inches from your head. It's right there in your heart. The word of your salvation is right here. Everybody is so close to being saved out there. As soon as you tell the gospel, they are so close to being saved. The word is near you. How, how near? The word of your salvation is real close to you. Where is it? It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. The word of your salvation, or we could say, since this works for salvation, it can be applied to every other arena of life. You need help at work? Your salvation is where? It's in your heart and in your mouth. If you can just get the right belief in your heart and say the right thing out of your mouth, you can have help at work. Some of you need some grace at work. Some of you need some faith at work. Some of you need to be nice at work. Some of you need to start acting like a Christian at work. How are you going to do that? You're going to do it by faith. You're going to do it because you believe something in your heart and you say something with your mouth and you put it to work. You got to find a promise from God's word, put it in your heart, say it with your mouth so that you can get some help at work. Some of you need some financial help. You better find some word from God's scriptures you got to find some sentences from God's Bible, put them in your heart, say them with your mouth, you'll get some financial help. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You can do anything by faith. Matter of fact, right now, everybody in the room can get anywhere in this whole world by faith. Physically, you could get anywhere in this world from that intersection. Just right there, that street light, you can go anywhere in the whole wide world from that intersection. Spiritually, you can get anywhere you need to be by faith. All of it's possible, but you're going to have to believe something and say something. Miracles happen for the Christian. Miracles happen for anybody by believing something in their heart and saying something with their mouth. Praise the Lord. Faith comes by what? hearing every Sunday and Wednesday and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing in your heart. Faith comes by you hearing something with your ears enough to let it get into your heart. Your heart hears it. And bam. I got faith now. Does that make sense? You can't have faith without hearing the truth. You can't dream up faith. You can't flip coins over your shoulder for faith. You can't just uh, grab it out of the air. Faith is a substance. It resides in your heart resides in your spirit based off of something God has said, based off of a truth. So you need to be hearing the word of God. You need to hear it preached. You need to hear the Bible read. You need to read it to yourself. You need to read it to yourself out loud so you can hear it. 
because faith can get built in you by hearing the word of God. Then you have to activate that faith to get miracles to happen. And that's why we confess scripture. You know, you hear us around here, you got to confess the scripture, confess the scripture. There's a reason for it. Confessing scripture is not to like try to coax God into giving you something. Well, God, I've been confessing this for three months and I just have, I don't know when you're going to do something about this. Confessing scripture is not for God and it's not for other people to hear you. Confessing, confessing scripture is for one reason only. It's to build faith in your heart and then to activate the power of the tongue, life and death, to activate life through the power of the tongue. That's the reason you confess scripture. Might take a while. You might have to say it quite a while until the faith comes and then until you're ready by faith to really say it. One preacher said, say it until you believe it and then say it because you believe it. And a lot of times that's the process that happens as you confess scripture. I learned this as a kid, confess scripture for about 20 minutes and then boom, a miracle happened and I was healed. And then I examined after the fact, wait a second, what happened? And it was because it took me about 20 minutes to really think about it. It took me about 20 minutes to really get it into my heart and then bam, I was healed. As an adult with a thicker skull, might take you longer than 20 minutes. My first miracle as an adult took me three and a half hours confessing scripture. Just, I was sick, confessing scripture, three and a half hours, confessing scripture, three and a half hours, believing it with all my mind for three and a half hours, and then boom, I noticed it got into my heart. Three and a half hours though. But faith came and I was miraculously healed. Heard God's voice, just wonderful things happen whenever you believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth. Might take you a little time. You're like, oh, three and a half hours. Oh my gosh. Why are these things so difficult? That's, that's the way you treat miracles? You wanted a magic wand? You wanted a little trick book? You wanted a button? An easy button? That was easy. We got one in the church office. It doesn't work. I mean, it'll say that was easy. Nothing's easy. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. All right. Where are we? Nobody knows. Jovan's had enough. She's out. Oh, you thought you were going to get a nice little outline form and a three points and a summary? You've been around long enough, you know, you ain't getting that around here. <laughs> now, some pre preachers like that, and, and they, they follow the homiletic instruction and all this kind of stuff. Um, and they can do it well, but, but I, I just, I, that's no fun for me. If I had to do that, I'd quit. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, so let's get back to um, what do we want to do now? I've got options. I got the whole Bible right here at my fingertips. I can go anywhere. Let me, let me tell you, I, I want to get to this aspect here. Uh, verse eight, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, which that's foundational. You understand? This is... This is really the foundation of Christianity. This is the foundation of a, a real faith walk, to live by faith, uh, to serve God by faith, to receive promises by faith. This is the principle. It's to believe it and say it, okay? Foundational. The, the whole of Christianity started when you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth. So if you talk about faith, what you're talking about is not some blind religious affiliation. When we talk about the Christian faith, we're not talking about the, just the general Christian faith compared to the Muslim faith. When you say, my faith got me through it, what you mean is God got you through it, right? You're not, you're not standing on your faith. You're standing on God's word by faith. So let's have some right terminology. If we're going to be sincere Christians, let's find out how to talk. The whole thing's built on this principle of believing something, confessing it, and then boom, I received something because of it. And then every other step of faith is done that way. You believe something and you act on it. 
Obedience happens this way. We obey God by faith. I heard it. I believe it. I'm stepping out to obey God. That's how we obey God by faith. That's how we live a life of faith. So the whole thing is built. This is the foundation of Christianity. It's different than every other religion. But if you want to determine, what, what do we determine? Well, Paul said, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That is the word of faith which we preach. He used this term, word of faith, which we preach. Uh, so the gospel is called the word of faith. Many times Paul called it the gospel, according to the gospel, according to the preaching of the gospel. Now he says, according to the word of faith. This is the word of faith. This is the word of faith which we preach. So that's where you see this little term, word of faith. You understand that? It's not a, word of faith is not a denomination. It's a principle. People say, isn't word of faith a heresy? Uh, no, no, no. No, it's not a denomination. It wasn't founded by people. There's no article of beliefs that someone has to adhere to. No, no, no. It's just a principle of God. When we preach the gospel, we're actually preaching the word of faith. So it's not heresy. If you, if you hear bad things about it, it's because people don't understand. All the negative stuff about it was for certain reasons, not for real Bible reasons. So don't just throw everything in the bucket of lost if you call it word of faith. No, it's a principle of God that we live by. So it's not heresy. Uh, but if someone doesn't believe that the belief of God's word and the verbalization of God's word out of our mouth does anything, they're the heretics. If anyone thinks that our belief and our words don't do something, they're the false teachers. And, and this is where you, you hear us talk about this quite often. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I, in, in, in a service, we'll open a door, don't have time to close the door. And so I trust that you'll come back next week and the next and the next and the next so that we can open all the doors and close all the doors over time. Because any one minute, any one service, you're not going to hear every answer to every question you might have after one topic is breached. You understand? So when a person doesn't believe that a Christian's confident belief has any real part in answered prayer or miracles or receiving the promises of God, then they're left with the false belief that it's only up to some divine providence, only up to God's will. So if, if, if it doesn't matter what we believe or pray or how confident we are in it, then you're left with, it's all up to God. If he wants to do a miracle, he will. And if he doesn't, he won't. They're trying to give more weight to God's will, more weight to God's omnipotence and omniscience. But by doing so, they're actually taking away from his divine will. His divine will was, you have a part. His divine will was, you have authority, responsibility. I'm giving you my name. I'm giving you answers. I'm giving you promises. And I want you to believe them. And if you believe them, and if you say them and pray them with confidence and not waver, then you will have what you petitioned. He wanted to put us in on it. He wanted to make us partners in on miracle working. So the fundamental difference between somebody who understands faith and somebody who doesn't really is this idea of sovereignty. Uh, and the fundamental difference is this principle versus everything that happens is God's will. If you prayed and it happened, it was God's will. If you prayed and it didn't happen, that was God's will. And that's just not how the Bible's written. You can't find that pattern in the Bible. It was not ever all up to God. It was, up, it was up to him to express his will to chosen men and women of God, and then eventually the whole body of Christ, and then it was up to those men and women of God and all of us to believe and receive and obey and confess. He wanted Abraham to have a promised land. He said, you're going to have to leave your family. From the very beginning, he told Adam and Eve, that's the easiest example, and it'll get you through some of this sovereignty business. You know, the word sovereign is not even in most Bibles. Now, if you have the New Living Translation, I'm praying for you. 
that should not be your main Bible translation. And, and here, there's many reasons why, mainly because it's not a translation, it's an interpretation. Meaning the writer said, what do they, what do, what do we think God was saying? Oh, I think it was this. That's an interpretation. That's not what you want as your main Bible. You can read it. You can use it for reference, but don't use it as your main Bible. You need a, you need a translation where they took one word and translate it to the next word. And I found this. I've been wondering why are Christians so tr trained so wrongly regarding this when the word sovereign is not even really in the Bible, hardly even one time. And when it is used, it's only to describe true sovereignty, which is not that God's a puppet master of the whole wide world. True sovereignty is just the king has highest authority in the land. Doesn't mean he controls everything. He can't stop everything from happening or start. God's sovereignty is not like that. He's not micromanaging every part of every single person's life, every single minute of every single day. I mean, you can examine your own life. If God was in control of everything you are doing and experiencing, how did you make so many mistakes in your life? If he was actually controlling everything that everybody, he would make you go to church every time I'm here. He would make you share Christ with everyone you meet. He would make you read your Bible. He would make you pray. He would make you obey. He'd make you be nice to people finally. You, I mean, it just takes a half of a common sense logic to say, you know what, doesn't look, God, God, God's not in total control of everything that's going on with everybody. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were told exactly God's will. God expressed his perfect divine will. And he said, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eat everything else. Have fun. I'll come see you every day. Just don't eat the one tree. Because if you do, you'll die. That was his will, that they didn't eat the tree. They ate the fruit. They died. The earth was cursed. God separated himself from mankind. The worst thing in the whole wide universe happened. God lost his people. Not because he wanted to. Not because it was his will, because we knew his will. What it proves is what God wants to happen and what actually happens, two different things. The big question mark in the middle is people. He expresses his will, he gives his promise, he tells his commands, he expresses his divine purposes. But the human must agree, the human must believe, the human must follow suit in order for there to be any kind of divine will happening in the earth. God needs people. He's always needed people. He wants people. He's always wanted people. You and I have a huge part in what happens in our life. That's the fundamental difference between somebody who understands this faith life and somebody who wants it to all be God's decision. Those people really simply just don't want much responsibility. Because if I think everything that happens is God's will, if I think everything happens for a reason, have you ever heard that before? How many of you have ever said it? Don't raise your hand. See, see, I help you. I help you not embarrass yourself. Well, I, I have faith. I just believe everything happens for a reason. So you bounce through life and you run into suffering and you run into evil and you run into temptation. Yep, that happened for a reason. Yep, here I am in jail. Happened for a reason. God wanted me here so he could get my attention. No. No, you've crisscrossed pages of the Bible. Sure, God wanted you to call on him. Sure, God wanted you to hear from him. Sure, God wanted you to believe and obey. But he didn't put you in prison so you would. He was sending you Christians the whole time and you ignored everything. He sent you church invite flyers in the mail and you ignored the whole thing. Now you're in prison saying God wanted you there? No. But it sure makes it easier. I didn't really have to do anything because, you know, God's orchestrating my whole life. No, that's not how the Bible's written at all. Those are ignorant people. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Well, I just believe everything happens for a reason. Well, everything does happen for a reason, and we've already established. Sometimes the reason is because you were stupid. Sometimes the reason is because you ignored Sometimes the reason is because you put off going to church for 20 years. 
Sometimes the reason is because you never read your Bible. Sometimes the reason is because you had faith and, it, and a good thing happened. Sometimes the reason is because you didn't have faith and a bad thing happened. But don't insinuate that it's a divine reason that everything's happening. You know, I, I know we, this has been one of our foundations of the church. Why? Because it's a foundation of, of this whole Christian life. The word of faith, faith in God based off of his word is a foundation of everything we're standing on. So we preach it quite a bit. And every time I preach it, I'm like, well, I just can't say this enough, can I? What the Bible teaches is that not only is God's will important for what I experience in life, but that my understanding and belief of his will play an equal role. The Bible teaches God partnering with his people in the execution of divine purpose rather than the total control of human life and decisions. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Go to Matthew 6. Let me just show you an example. Matthew 6, uh, you know, it's Christianity 101, basic finance for the Christian. Anybody ever taken a finance class? Finance 101. This is Christianity Finance 101. And if you can't get it, it doesn't matter how highfalutin you become. Matthew 6. Start with verse 25. There's more that he's he's talking about money in this chapter, but I'm going to skip to verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, for they they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And that's why you hear me say, uh, we're better than flowers and better than birds. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his statue? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And I, I don't think you just throw that in there. I think he's saying, how much, how much more will he take care of you? Oh, you of little faith. Like what is wrong with you? He's your heavenly father. Why would you worry? You know, Jesus, some people have this image of Jesus because of the silly pictures. <laughs> that he was just a mild mannered, mild mannered, you know, nice, calm. And I'm sure he had some calm moments. But not only was he a teacher, he was a preacher. And you know how preachers get. I bet Jesus could shout the house down without hacking. Have faith in God. <laughs> he might have. I don't know what he's on. He's the Lord. He can do whatever he wants. He can preach however he wants. But I bet he was a preacher and I bet he got, he, I bet he emphasized certain sentences. There's no punctuation in the Hebrew language. That's a problem. They should put exclamation points in some places. <laughs> oh, you have little faith. Do, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. <clears throat> therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You'll have trouble tomorrow. You'll handle it tomorrow. Don't worry about it today. At least that's the way I like to live. Cross that bridge when we get there. You understand what that means? That means I have enough confidence in God to know that if there's a problem at that bridge, we'll fix it. I'm bringing Aaron with me and Patrick and we can fix it. And Brian, we'll fix anything. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things are added. You know that, right? And so, so have you applied this into your life? So, so most of us get saved um, 
I don't know, I guess some, some get saved when they're kids, but you grow up with this a lifestyle of the culture around you, the way people think, the way your parents thought about money, the way your domestic life handled money. That's how you're brought up. And then you get saved and you realize, oh, Christianity 101 changes all that. Now I can't worry about money anymore. That's how you're supposed to read it. Oh, I can't worry about money anymore. How could I not? You got to practice. You got to go here and say, okay, 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 okay. I'm going to practice this. Okay. I thought my employer was giving my money, but it's not. It's God. He's the su supplier. He's the provider. How do I do that? I thought my, my education, I thought my skills, I thought that was what was taking care of my livelihood. And it's not. It's God. So you have to practice. You have to spend enough time in here. You have to trust God. You have to really start leaning on the fact that it's God, not your boss, that pays you. The promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or from that office or this office or that company or this company or that boss. It comes from above. If you want to get promoted, please God. If you want to get further with your job or your career, don't do it for your boss's sake. Do it for, for the Lord. So don't be walking by your boss's office trying to show off your skills. People do it all the time, trying to, the way they live their office life is just with their boss in mind. Don't expect too much promotion. You're not putting your faith in the right spot. So don't worry about money. Now you're gonna have to use this in times of stress. And you're gonna have to use this as weapon. This is your tool, you're gonna, what's the tool? The tool is to believe it and say it. I'm not talking about you just remembering, well, I took notes on that somewhere. I got my notepad somewhere. I got notes on that. I'm not talking about you just hearing this, this, this message. I'm talking about you hearing it and then saying it. So you got to read this passage until it comes alive to you. Have you done that? Have you read Matthew 6 till it came alive in your heart? Have you read Matthew 6 until it came alive and you walked off? Glory to God. I ain't worried ever again. I mean, it's got to stimulate you that much. You don't have to quite act like that, but you, it does need to stimulate you to the point that you don't worry. So I believe this truth as a, as a, you know, a year old Christian, two years, year and a half year old Christian uh, in my adult life. I came back to the Lord, sincere, learning the Bible, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, expecting all things to be added to me. And then, then I had to really apply this. It's one thing to believe it on paper. It's another to actually use it in times of stress. And so some of you know the full story. I'm going to shorten it. But I, I knew that it was time for me to leave my career, which my career was taking care of my life financially then and for every year to come after, had it made. And so when I knew I was supposed to leave my career and go full-time in the ministry, that was a big step of faith, you understand. I had to hear from God to know that I was supposed to do it and when to do it. You can't take any steps with God unless you know what he said and when he said. So I found, I, I, I heard from him, I knew it was time. And so I made the decision, this is it. I knew, this is it. I'm, I'm gonna obey God. Went and told my manager that I gave him a two week notice. I said, I'm leaving. Uh, she said, what are you gonna do next for money? No idea. This was the state of my life. I, I didn't have a ministry, didn't have a, uh, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know anything but I knew it was time to say goodbye to my career. So excited about it. Walked out of the office, praise the Lord, I'm obeying God, it felt so wonderful, I'm rejoicing inside. And uh, the next morning I woke up and I didn't feel that way anymore. <laughs> and I was petrified. And, I, and, I, and my first thought was, you dummy. You just left everything you worked for in college and after college. What is wrong with you? I'm like, yeah, what's wrong with me? Why did I do that? I wonder if she'll take it back. <laughs> and then I started, you know, and, and then I started thinking, well, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I, I felt empty. I felt like there was no future. I'm like, what am I going to do? I have no idea. And the de I, could, I could almost start to hear the devil talking to me. And then I remembered the scripture. And then I remembered some other scriptures. And I began to lay in my bed just thinking to myself, no, 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 no. God said he'd take care of me. God said, I don't have to worry about money. I'm in the will of God. I'm doing the will of God. I know this is God's will for my life. And so I began to battle. 
And I began to talk to myself and mutter to myself that God said that those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So if I ever get to preach the gospel, I'll be living of it. I'll have a livelihood from that because I know I got to do this. I've, I didn't want to leave my job. I just knew there was a deposit in me that the body of Christ needed. And so I said, okay, okay, I'll do it. I don't really, I never wanted to, never thought to, just knew I had to. So that was my motivation. And I'm laying in the bed thinking, no, 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 he'll take care of me. I know he will. For 30 minutes, I would mutter to myself, this passage plus a few others. And then about 30 minutes later, that feeling left me. And I, and I realized it was a very, very paralyzing fear in my room. When you deal with paralyzing fear, you better deal with it scripturally. When you sense some weird oppression or when you sense worry come, you have to deal with it scripturally. How do you do that? Believe something, say something. Don't get frantic. Don't just put on music. That's not the answer. Believe something, say something. Believe something, say something. And if you do put on music, recognize that that's just to help you get to the Bible and start reading it. Music's not the solve all for all your problems. The world thinks it is. You got the world, they're glued to music 24 hours a day. That's not the Christian way. Music for the Christian is a help. But that's not the end. There's a time for music. There's a time for, for singing to God. There's a time for alone time. It could be lengthy. But don't uh, mistake that for a time that you need to be believing something and saying something. Music might help you not worry after you've applied your faith. Anyway, so I, 30 minutes, the, I, I think it was a demon. I think it was a demon of fear. It was that powerful. And it left. And I got out of bed and I was happy all day. Praise the Lord. I'm on... In the will of God, obeying God, told my, told my family I'm leaving my career. Everybody kind of looked at me funny. It's all right. <laughs> Happy. I know, what, I know that God's got me. And then I went to bed that night, woke up the next morning, totally paralyzed again with fear. You dummy. No hope. Uh, what's wrong with you? How could you do such a stupid thing? No money. I, I had even no plan for money. Um, but then I began to talk to myself about Matthew 6. No, 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 no. And God always makes sure that the, the labor is worthy of his hire and always makes sure that if you plant a crop, then the husbandman gets to eat some of the crop. And if he sends you to war, he'll always pay for the soldier's food. And so I just began to talk to myself about the Bible. And then the fear left. 30 minutes, the fear left again. Ah, totally free, got out of bed. This goes on day after day, day after day, morning after morning for three weeks. Some of you have been dealing with fear and worry and you've not... You, some of you have had fear and worry about some things, and you've not dealt with it at all. You've eaten a lot of pizza and ice cream to get over it. You've gone shopping. You've watched television and media to, to, to get your mind off of it, uh, but you've not dealt with it spiritually yet. It took me three weeks, every morning, 30 minutes or, or approximately, and I never got out of bed until that fear left me. See, if I, I believe if I had gotten out of bed and lived with it all day, it would have delayed me getting free. This happened for three weeks. The demon finally left the window uh, after three weeks and never came back again. I mean, until this day, never came back again. Until this day, I've never had any worry about money. Until this day, I have never had any worry about money at all. That's the only way to live. It might take you three weeks to get this in your heart properly. You got to get convinced and you got to say it out loud. You got to believe it with all your heart. I've had to apply my faith, maybe a little extra here and there. You know the story, like when I got engaged. <laughs> Glory to God. Like, I need more money. And with Pastor John, a lot, I need a lot more money. I mean, when we, when we first got married, I had to add shoe racks, like shoe rack in the closet was like this. And she ran out of room. She got all these shoes all over the floor. Shoes up to the, to the ceiling. I'm like, well, we got to have found a place. So I added, I added a level in every one of the shelves so she could have double the shoes. That's how much I care. 
And it's a strange thing. You know, I probably had three pair of shoes when we got married. Now I got the same problem. Like I need more shoe space. But anyway, she made me start dressing right, I guess. So, but it took me a while and I never had any fear except when I got engaged and, uh, and I caught myself. I'm like, Whoa, God, how am I going to pay for her? And, and it, about 30 seconds, 30 seconds, I had dread. I had dread come over me. And then I, this, this was my statement out of my mouth. Out of my mouth, this is what I said to myself. No, God's always taken care of me, and he always will. And, you know, and when you say stuff to yourself like that, I, I, I got an affirmation from God. I can sense his Yes. He didn't have to say, like a lot of people will say, and God told me. Well, he didn't tell me. I said it out loud to myself, but I heard an affirmation silently in my spirit. And he always has. We've never missed a bill. Never not gotten to done something we needed to do or wanted to do. Never worried about money. God's, he's faithful to his promises. That's called faith. That's the word of faith. That is faith. That's the foundation of everything. To believe God's word. And really those who, who attack faith, they're really the, the, the doorway into attacking faith and miracles and healings is because people haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. Anyone who has not been filled with the Holy Spirit will never under, anybody who's not spoken in tongues will never understand this. They will always lean toward the sovereignty bucket. Well, no, if God wanted that, if he, God didn't want, God wanted you to go through a terrible, they'll always lean that way. But if you'll get filled with the spirit, speak in tongues, you'll have a depth of understanding that you didn't have before. And if you've never gone through the supernatural doorway of tongues, you'll never understand miracles and healing. And that's why miracles and healing, anybody laying hands and faith healers, they get a bad name because people haven't gone through the door of the supernatural. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wanted everybody to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So you wonder out there, how come people are so, you know, how can pastors, how can people be so against faith, healing, and miracles, and, and all this? Supernatural. The natural mind does not like the things of the Spirit. The natural man hates the things of the Spirit because it's foolishness. So if you want to help somebody, you can't help them until they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Then there's a chance they can understand the word more, pro more accurately, more properly. Does that make sense? Sure, there's been some error. Look, there's been lots of error. In every denomination, there's error. In every group of assembly of people, there's a little error here and there. And heresy and charlatans and goofballs that mess up everything else. But don't throw away the whole foundation just because goofball didn't learn right. I mean, there's so many preachers, I'm like, you know, you need, to get, you need to get down off that stage until you learn better. You need to stop saying it that way until you can say the next page of the Bible. And then, you know, prosperity comes up, they're like, oh, prosperity. Well, prosperity is a Bible truth. Now, charlatans getting rich off people is not a Bible truth. And there's been tons of error in... Uh, harm done to the body of Christ because of it. Preaching prosperity can be done rightly or wrongly. I recognize one of the problems with the prosperity teaching or preaching is that they forgot to tell the Christian, look, this is not so you can go try to get rich. The Bible says, do not desire to be rich. It says wealth and riches will be in the righteous man's house, but it also says, do not desire to be rich or you'll fall into temptation and a snare. And I find myself wanting to say that a lot because I know Christians are trying to get rich still. You'll snare yourself. Oh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for God. Don't do it that way. Go work well. Do something excellent with your life. Use your skills and your brain. Do it in the name of the Lord. Find his will and do it with all your heart. But don't do it for the money. If you do it with all your heart, you'll have the money. 
You got to get your heart right about money. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is the Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.